Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Um, I told you this before, but I earlier today thought I was... Um, I just had eye strain, but I thought I was having a brain aneurysm, so um, I, if, uh, I was a little bit uh, fragmented in my thoughts. Um, also a little bit fragmented because I think that um, both these writers are, uh, I'm really humbled to be uh, hosting them here. So um, so with that being said, um, let's, let's jump right in. So um, the narrators that uh, Juno Lucci Lee often writes from work out of a sense of a past present in which the perfect tense approaches a porous timeline of construction where the node of the present seems to recede from itself into a sort of impossibility. That Lee's work is both uh, exposing and countering Benjamin's assertion from the storyteller when he writes. Actually, that, that shouldn't be there. But Lee's work is both exposing and countering Benjamin's assertion from the storyteller when he writes. For never has experience been contradicted, this is Benjamin, for never has experience been contradicted more thoroughly than strategic experience by tactical warfare, economic experience by inflation, bodily experience by mechanical warfare, moral experience by those in power. A generation that had gone to school on a horse-drawn streetcar now stood under the open sky in a countryside in which nothing remained unchanged but the clouds, and beneath these clouds, in a field of force of destructive torrents and explosions, was the tiny, fragile human body. Um, certainly the, fra the fragility of the individual and the construction of a past tense delimited by a, a sort of asymptotic relation to the um, adge like, uh, adjectively manifest selves um, is identified in June's work, but st the stability of pose and posture, which comes through in a particularly sensitive writing of limbs in particular, or that's something that I noticed, is one that identifies the body as being constantly marked by its newness and its historization against the shock or indifference of an assumed sky. The shock is not the presence of the narrative body, but perhaps at the articulation of its proximity to others. Please welcome Juno Lee to the Poetry Project. Thank you, Judah. That was like the most beautiful intro anyone actually has ever given me. So for real, I'm so happy. Thank you. And thank you for this opportunity to um, read here tonight and with the Poetry Project. Um, so happy. Um, I'm going to read three little pieces. I'm going to read two fragments from a little novelette that I just wrote called 94. It's set in 1994. And then I'm going to read a little fragment from my book, LASIK Bag. So this piece is called um, A Time Before Hashtags. <clears throat> These males would hurl at me their feelings balled up in words and attitude, and the particles that stuck to me would form my body. I licked my old wounds and hard brushed my insecurities till I was all static electricity of a fuzzed and pilled surface, reaching out for the tiny plastic barbs of all those words, all that attitude. I wish there existed some platform, ideally one that blinks and sparkles and can be internally revised without skid marks, with which I could declare the some parts of my being that longed for love. Inside my head, there's always been a clear list 
of who I was when I kissed a boy, when I held his hand, when I unlocked my legs or jaws out for him, when I curled under his broad reach. But in those days, the only way you could turn yourself into a description of yourself was to wear certain clothes, get a certain haircut, smell like something specific and identifiable. And because I've always been more word than image oriented, I had a hard time translating the list inside my head into visual symbols I could stick on my body. The list stood feebly as the mere volumes of words and my skin didn't have enough surface area to house a tattoo of the entire text. So every day I bungled it, I parted my hair the wrong way, used a little too much hairspray, ironically put on tight teeny bopper t-shirts from the 70s that were soft and reassuring to my skin and clinging to the beholder, but the iron-on patch always felt like the rubbery skin of a movie lizard in spite of the cheer and glitter. In earnestness, I wore t-shirts of bands I loved, three sizes too big. I wore sawed-off work pants with tall rubber wading boots so that no inch of my leg would show through, even though I wore shorts. I pretended the waders were the thigh-high boots of a melancholic dominatrix and went out into Saturday evenings. We're not old, but we like to play the oldies here, he said with a smile, and I had no idea what that meant. There were words coming out of a young face printed on old but buttered skin. He was a man in his late 30s, a hairdresser with legs that reached almost to the other side of the room, wearing puzzling pants that were neither trousers nor jeans. A hefty house remix of Disco Inferno was playing, and he was trying to explain its significance to me, but I already knew it was a remake. Still, I just nodded along to the words with a warm silence. I wondered if he thought I was silent because I was a pothead or because I couldn't speak English. I supposed with my body I could have passed for either. You're the hottest bitch here, he said, as gently as if he were in an antique shop, and I, something small, prone to cracking. With that same uneasy softness, he picked up my hand and put it on his thigh. Even though he was staring into my eyes the whole time, he placed my palm smack at the center of his huge cock. His aim was deadly. He moved my hand along it toward his knee. It was turgid and so long that I couldn't tell whether it was erect or not. This is all for you. I would have taken it too, for he had a kind face and his attitude was actually perfect. I was exactly the kind of person who wanted to hook up with a stranger at a bar, but also have that hookup lead immediately into something emotional. I wanted to appear easy because I was easy but also stuck up because I was stuck up. Often, one pose canceled the other out to an effect of dullness, but this guy seemed to like it. But for me, he didn't make me feel sufficiently small. I was already smaller than him, he must have been six foot three at least. But the way he held my hand, the way he guided it up and down his mysteriously full penis in a soothing rhythm was precious and precocious. I realized then why I wasn't attracted to this perfectly nice looking man. The good linen shirt he was wearing now looked to me like a virgin's blouse, and I resented that I was to be the ravaging highwayman. It seemed silly for the two of us to fight over the position of the ravaged, but that's what we were doing. The tail end of the house mix, now totally drained of vocals, wedged itself all up between us, and I thanked it. 
I started moving away mentally. I didn't move my body because that would have been rude. Instead, I took my time with the ridiculously strong, big gulp-sized Long Island iced tea down before politely excusing myself back to the bar where no friend and no boyfriend waited for me. We were sitting at the club that I went to a few times a month. I would have gone more often except I didn't have a car, the free campus bus didn't go to that part of town, and it took nearly half an hour to walk there from the dorms. It had been built tightly into the corner of a dead-end street that faced a junkyard or a, municipal or a municipal power plant I can no longer remember. In another two years, the club would move itself to another location, this time up above a tire warehouse with a subtle neon signs and an entrance that didn't require patrons to sign in. Still no windows, though, for at least another few years, if ever. I didn't mind the sleaziness of the bar at all. Its weak disco lights made everyone and everything black. It hid the chipped edges of the chairs and sediments of spilled drinks and saliva from impulsive kisses. I never did have a good sense of place. To me, rooms were just flat planes propped up at essential and convenient angles. Could be a trashy club, a three-star hotel, or my dream house. Already I had developed a way of forcing my feelings upon places. I loved sleazy gay bars and never understood why, never understood it when other people called them sleazy. To me, the warm pianos, coked up bass lines, tribalistic rhythm section played on a computer, the emphatic vocalization of desperate female singers turned any dank stinky, stickiness, stickiness, not stinkiness, <laughs> into intimacy. The guy's voice sounded like the club. It was what I liked best about him. I was leaning into the bar on another night when the same kind of voice came out to me from a different face. He came up close enough to touch me. Can I buy you a drink? But I already have one, I said. I had my elbows up on the bar like a rude kid at a dinner table and only two dainty sucks into my fat drink. I felt stupid as soon as I dropped the last syllable because I really wasn't trying to be an ice princess. On the contrary, my mind had already raced to accommodate him. He didn't need to buy me a drink for me to fall in love with him. He was a white boy about my age and height with a rigidly gelled Caesar cut. He was wearing a double extra large FUBU shirt with a logo in some kind of iridescent puff vinyl. And even through those baggy work pants, I could tell that he had a body that could beat me up or at least bully me. All he had to do was talk to me in that same voice, look into my eyes, take me home and reveal himself. But having no way of knowing that, his face fell. And right away, he picked it up off the floor. Whoa, he said. Defensiveness made his eyes wide, a look of egotistical disbelief. Okay. I became flustered. I said, I mean, I just got this big drink. Maybe you could buy me another one when I'm done? He didn't look like he wanted to buy me another one when I was done, but he didn't leave my side either. He leveled on me a cold look with a sweet smile. You're a hot bitch, he said to me, and I believed him. But he probably would go back to where his closeted homies were sitting and laugh at me. With his middle finger, he traced the silkscreen letters across my chest. When he reached the end, he pinched the shirt out and let it go. That's an interesting shirt, death to the pixies, he asked, as if he were admiring a big rack. It's a band, the pixies, I mean. I felt dumb, 
but also beginning to feel like a hot bitch the way he was shamelessly surveying me up and down. I guess they wouldn't play them here. He looked bored and lustful. He knew that all these words, his and mine, were totally meaningless blips meant to create an ethereal but irresistible connection between us. In love and sex both, temporary stuff is no different than the permanent. I didn't know that and thought that it really meant something for me to explain to him what the pixie sounded like, why I was at the club alone, that I was wandering, not cruising, and why that difference was so important to me. I thought I was flirting hard, when in actuality, I was just following through on my initial fuck up. My glass was almost empty when he turned to go back to his homies. I was alarmed because I had come to believe he was going to buy me my next drink after all. Full of bald desperation, I said, hey, don't you want to hang out more? He didn't miss a beat in answering me and never stopped smiling. Come back when you get a haircut. He went back to his homies, and even above the thump of the music, I could hear them laughing. Okay. Um, this next tiny little piece is from um, a story called Incidents in the Life Under the Pink. We were always giving little gifts to one another for practical magic. Once. <clears throat> Once Becky gave me a tampon nestled in a beautiful violet black velvet box, the kind that holds diamond rings. The tampon was pristine, but it had been dusted at the insertion tip with powder tempera paint in an exquisite shade of fuchsia. I know you love tampons. I bet you wish this, were, this one were a used one, she laughed. And I agreed. I do love them. I wish I could use them. Well, be thankful, she said. You can wear white jeans to your heart's content, unlike me. Another time, I gave her a mixtape. Side A was a string of all the favorite songs I'd been listening to at the time, while side B was a recording of me speaking every single lyric of the same songs in deep, monotone a cappella. This story is called Ragdoll 2. Stevie and Jay were a great gay couple. The sum of their body weights was a nice trim number, and from the back, they looked like they could be brothers. From the front, it was quite a different story. They wore bathrobes at breakfast, even on weekdays. So there they were, sitting at their very cute Danish-designed dining table in their cute bathrobes, and Obama 2008 coffee cups, looking at each other's very unbrotherly faces when Jay blurted out, let's have an orgy. <clears throat> Stevie was rather taken aback. He'd just finished admiring the fluorescent white glow around Jay's face that looked as though it were in a purposeful trance. J Stevie and Jay met 36 months ago. <clears throat> they dated for 12 careful months before discussing the possibility of living together. On their first date, they fell in love, but neither admitted it to one another, partly out of fear of getting hurt and partly out of respect for the modern rules of dating. They dated gingerly so that each bouquet of bi-weekly roses, yellow, Stevie gave Jay, and the Brooks Brothers shirt Jay bought Stevie too early, three weeks into their courtship, 
carried an individuated tone. Each knew that the other had occasional sexual encounters with strangers, but that knowledge was underwritten by the tacit agreement that they would not speak of the sexual act unless it became something more significant, love. So finally, when they decided to get a place together, they both believed that I love you had a meaning close to law. This is why, without much thought and any bitterness, Stevie replied, okay. I think it would be nice for us to share all aspects of our sexual experience, Jay said with sincerity. I'm sick of having sex with strangers. I want us to have sex with our friends together. Don't you think it might be fun to have sex with our friends together? Stevie didn't know if it would be fun to have sex with their friends together. He wondered what men, gay or straight, Jay knew at all. Jay was a 33-year-old retired ballet dancer who was in the process of applying to the MA program at NYU's Performance Studies program. But since he had, or had to, quit ballet 10 years ago, he had been teaching after-school ballet to little girls and runway walk to just slightly older, much taller girls sent by modeling agencies. Whether by professional necessity or personal preference, all the people he hung out with or called on the phone were tall and or bony women. Stevie, on the other hand, had plenty of male friends, gay and straight and everything in between. He was a software engineer. He wondered if Jay had a crush on any of his friends or coworkers. Yeah, that would be fine. Stevie shoveled the rest of his expensive steel-cut oatmeal into his mouth, enjoying the hug of friendly grains, raisins, and cream. I think I'm going to get lilies, very white, very pure lilies. I want them spilling out of every corner of the room. I was thinking first of big white roses, but I think that would be too feminine for a gathering of men, don't you think? Sure. I know, I know it sounds crazy to think about flower arrangements for an orgy, but I don't want this to be sleazy. I want it to be more like a civilized gathering of friends with group sex thrown in. To Stevie, it sounded crazy as all hell but he decided he would go along with it. He blushed inside for Jay. He wondered how he had never identified some of Jay's proclivities as femininity. Sure, Jay was a ballet dancer. Sure, he taught girls 101 ways to walk a straight line without too much movement on the, in the hips. Sure, he liked to wear women's perfume, Prada Amber. But even as he looked at him at that moment, he confounded himself. Jay was not any more effeminate in his manner than Stevie himself or any other gay man. He was thin but relentlessly muscled. His chest was bony and flat as a weakling's, but his arms and legs were heroic. His black hair was cut with a floppy top and immaculately maintained cropped sides and back. Bucking the vogue for gay men, he never wore skinny jeans, which in fact Stevie did, and instead wore baggy Levi's or Ben Davis dungarees because as he explained, tight pants reminded him of his forsaken ballet. But it felt as though there were no other word to describe this desire for lilies at an orgy but femininity. Jay now turned his dark eyes to Stevie with a warmth that stopped him in his tracks. Stevie wasn't sure that this orgy was a good idea. Still, he was a little curious about how they would make or organized group sex not sleazy. He wasn't sure that lilies would do the trick. The guest list was certainly not sleazy. Looking at it, Stevie only saw intersecting blobs of comforting colors. It was a short list, four, and as expected, three of them were Stevie's friends and one of them worked with him. 
The sole contribution from Jay's side of things was a male dancer from Jay's old dance company who now had a job with the American Ballet Theater. Stevie remembered the guy's hooded, snobby eyes and tried to speak as nonchalantly as he could when he pointed to the male dancer's name. He hadn't been aware that Jay had even kept in touch with him. I didn't know you guys kept in touch. Jay was sitting at the dinner table, dining table, crouching in his chair, his feet tucked tidily into his butt. Even in a baggy Britney Spears t-shirt and old sweatpants with the logo of a girl's boarding school on the thigh, he reminded Stevie of something very small and delicate made of thick white china, heavy in your hands but would shatter into precise pieces if you dropped it. He looked up from what he called the seating chart. Under the list of names, he had drawn a vertical rectangle with two smaller horizontal rectangles at its head. It represented their bed. He had written two names on the opposite sides of the big rectangle. They were not Jay and Stevie. We just meet up for coffee sometimes, catch up and dance gossip, you know. I didn't think you'd want to hear anything about that. Jay entered another name, not Jay and not Stevie, into the seating chart. In general, I don't, but sometimes. I like to think I'm not so insecure that I can't hear about other people's successes just because I'm a failure. You're not a failure. Don't talk about yourself like that. And I'm surprised at you. It seems like a dumb reason to make yourself upset just to prove yourself that you're not insecure. It's not only that. I get to hear about failures, too. He put the dancer friend's name next to the left horizontal rectangle. What do you think we should serve? I read once that you lose some huge amount of zinc in your sperm when you ejaculate. It would be nice to serve them some replenishing food for afterwards. Eggs would be the obvious choice. Soft boiled, whole, peeled and stacked into that little wicker basket we have. It would be cute. I could arrange cans of Budweiser around it. But then eggs do seem too obvious and too sexual. What foods have a lot of zinc in them? I don't know. You really want to serve snacks at an orgy? <laughs> OK. So um, I feel sometimes that these readings, like we go by like Screen Actors Guild guidelines, where like, the, the staff needs five minutes to smoke, but everyone else is just sitting still. It's like, okay, no, we'll, we'll get back to it. It's union thing. Um, so, um, but we're not unionized, so just saying. Um, all right, so uh, let's get started. So in Sarah Dowling's Down, which is her book, which just came out, um, uh, which is a really great book, um, the question of the fragmentation of sound, um, and so of lyric constructs or, constructs or fails in the reconstruction of evidence as a body. In Down, Dowling utilizes two major forms of performance, the legal document and the karaoke standard, as means of reconstructing a hidden or extra apparent body, one that is perfunctory in its appearance and that atrophies in repetition to move beyond insistence to the movement that allows the body to come into being, and which makes it disappear perhaps all the more important because the stakes of these performances are both mortally serious and outside of consequence. 
This is, of course, the case of legal discourse, which is constructed around a plainer and reduced self, where habeas corpus reveals ourselves to be of numerous potential zones of inquiry and performance. What is most striking uh, in Dowling's work from down is the prescience with which it negotiates the problematic discourse of violence and antipathy, not as a contestation of the visible self, but of the body as location of linguistic, linguistic disarticulation in association along the bias of the law's decision. Please welcome Sarah Dowling to the Poetry Project. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for that very generous introduction, Judah. And thanks, June, for your reading. I think um, in many ways, this book is sort of like side B of the mixtape you were describing in your reading. Um, so without further ado, I'll just get started. Morning. Number one is mornings. Number two is my coast. Number three is my sunshine. Number four is my feel. Number five is my girl. Number six is that somebody. Number seven is naughty. Number eight is my girl. Number nine is my mouth. Number 10 is gray. Number 11 is my feel, number 12, or T. Number 13 is that somebody, number 14 is noiseless, number 15 is hot enough, number 16, tell nobody. Number 17 is my cigarette, number 18 or robe, number 19 is my feel, number 20 is soft soap. Number 21 is my chills, number 22 is my hawk, number 23 is my feel, number 24 is small talk. Number 25 is my lonely, number 26 is my girl, number 27 is my only, number 28 is my girl, number 29 is my feel, number 30 is my coast, number 31 is this real, number 32 or snow. Number 33 is my one, number 34 is nobody, number 35 or doc, Number 36 is naughty. Number 37 is my buses. Number 38 is proud. Number 39 is my girl. Number 40 is my clouds. Number 41 is my girl. Number 42, that's good. Number 43 is my girl. Number 44, or flutes. Number 45 is my feel. Number 46 is my beach. Number 47 is my girl. Number 48 is bees. Number 49 is nobody. Number 50 is my coast, number 51 is my sand, number 52 at most. Number 53 is that somebody, number 54 is my tears, number 55 is my girl, number 56 is my feels, number 57 is my heart, number 58 is my keys, number 59 is my girl, number 60 or trees, 
Number 61 is naughty. Number 62 is my birds. Number 63 is baby. Number 64 or words. Number 65 is my parking lot. Number 66 is my feel. Number 67 is my hawk. Number 68 is real. Number 69 is my coast. Number 70 or keys. Number 71 is dry toast. Number 72 is all these. Number 73 is my feel, number 74 is my girl, number 75 is a meal, number 76 is my girl, number 77 is relief, number 78 is my stars, number 79 is naughty, number 80 is my car. Number 81 is that somebody, number 82 is my snow, number 83 is my girl, number 84 is the most, number 85 is daily, number 86 is my girl, number 87 is baby, number 88 or Neil. Number 89 is my girl, number 90 is my card, number 91 is that somebody, number 92 is warm, number 93 is nobody, number 94 is nothing, number 95 is prosody, number 96 is music, number 97 is my whole, number 98 is my girl, number 99 is that somebody, number 100 is control, number 101 is my hawks, number 100 102 is my cross, number 103 is my girl, number 104 is my girl, number 105 is north, number 106 is my past, number 107 is my girl, number 108 or path, number 109 tell nobody, number 110 flies, number 111 is my girl, number 112 is dry, number 113 is my place, number 114 is my field, number 115 is my sunshine, number 116 is further, number 117 is mornings, number 118 is my field, number 119 is my coast, number 120 is this wheel, number 121 is my girl. I've got to tell you, I'm talking because I really can't tell me, are you gray? Say, because I really tell me I'm not. If I can't tell, I hope I'm talking. Listen, because I really need, tell me, are you really? Tell me, are you lonely? I'm not, and is it wet? Because is it, because if I, if I can't tell you're real, I hope that we'll, oh boy, see, I shouldn't let you, but won't you, if you tell you no, because I really tell me, are you that somebody? Because I'm not, but just say, yes, you can't tell me, are you talking? You shouldn't, but if I, if I let you go, be, we talk, but, don't know, see, if I promise you then, can you? Sunshine, honey. I've got, yes, I've got this, I've got anxious, I've got serenity, I've got our existence, of course, disarray never included us. I've got sunshine, I've got an occupying attention, I may refer to must inherently, I've got any, I've got any compulsive relationship, sunshine. Sunshine on a cloudy day, on a method, on expressed or implied, not a thing or a person. On a cloudy day, it will never be morning. On it, cloudy in the way that we do this. Cloudy day talking, better for us. I've got one sexual method described by forms of histories of aesthetics, when it's made present, when it's by the explicit, when it's cold, that relentless energy outside their excesses of sex, outside their lives. It's cold outside and when it's linked, when it's the trembling cold outside the world. I've got the month. I may, by relentless excesses, present the explicit. I've got their lives of us, the month of method and talking, the month of this it. Of course their energy would, the month it were day. I must refer, I've got disarray, may inherently. I've got the month to do a thing described, I guess, or person, I guess sex, I guess, an expressed or implied relationship, you'd say very compulsive, I guess, histories, I guess, any form of sexless method, you'd say not occupying, I guess, attention, you'd say that never included us. What could make this aesthetics? What could make me feel that? Make me many, make me better. What could make me sexless and sexual? Make me feel we, make me feel made, make me feel us, make me feel matter, make me feel this for one. What could make me feel this commotion, this relationship to energy? What could make me feel this way? 
I've got so much occupying. I've got a thing or person. I've got so much inherently, not histories, never expressed or implied. I've got relentless honey in the way, so much that an attention deforms. I've got so much disarray. I've got so much talking. I've got so much excesses. Honey included many of us. Honey, of course I've got that. I've got compulsive, got so much sexual. The bees envy us. The bees of any sex, the bees of any means, the bees of any method, one made a matter of their lives, may for us and for envy, method and present, we do this better. The bees, sexless, it was Monday night. The bees, aesthetics, me, I've got described. I've got the explicit. I've got the same state of trepidation. A sweeter song might be suffering, described by their energy. I've got a relationship. A sweeter song must prefer occupying anything, a sweeter person or sex, inherently that us. Sweeter, it pleases me. I've got all the forms of not. Sweeter than the histories than this relentless sexual aesthetics, the never, the birds included to matter, the birds, a one, many of us expressed or implied excesses, the birds talking, the way that an attention may present the trees by disarray in the trees, any method, the birds in the trees, we do, well, I guess very compulsive. I guess for us, well, I guess, and for their explicit lives, I guess the method, well, I guess, and I, sexless, you'd say, sexless, of course, you'd say, nevertheless, I guess, we're a part of this disorientation. What could make me feel made? What could make me better? What could make disarray this way forms, this way of may not, never, this way of a relationship? What could make me feel we, that us, very occupying method, attention? What could make me feel anything this way, or any person? What could make this matter, feel this one, feel this expressed, feel in the way of that attention, feel this included talking to us of it? I don't need or implied. I don't need histories of excesses. I don't need no explicit lives. And for sex, of course, I don't need us. I don't need any present. I don't need no money and any compulsive energy. Money described by the relentless method. I don't need no aesthetics. I don't need no inherently money, fortune or refer, fortune or a sexual eye. Fortune, or it strikes eleven, fortune, or there, fortune, or sexless, the sexless many, fortune, or a certain pace and rhythm, fortune to the stabbing pulse beat, fortune, or a relationship to a sexual better, fortune, or fame occupying that method made us, I've got by. I've got all the forms of matter. I've got all implied, baby. That one included sex for us. I've got all the riches and for any person or thing. Not in the way of attention to excesses. I've got all, it was 10 o'clock. I've got the very method. I've got all the disarray, baby, we refer. One man can claim the explicit talking. One man can claim aesthetics. One man, never a course of expressed histories, claim lives of the sexless it, I, us. One man, described by many, one man must, one man can, may present one man, relentless and compulsive. One man can claim energy. One man can do any inherently sexless. Well, I guess each critical approach, well, I guess to the kind of contact, well, existing, I guess, between people, between peoples, I guess, refer, I guess, a relationship included sex, I guess this described an occupying method, you'd say sexual, you'd say forms made compulsive, I guess you'd say better that any person may, I guess, present their histories. 
What can make this matter? What can make me feel us, make me feel this method? What can make attention to excesses? What can make explicit disarray? What can make a relentless course we must do make me feel the very aesthetics expressed or implied? What can make me feel this in their lives of talking, this way that one inherently I or thing, this way not sexless, never sexless, would that it were, this of us by many make me feel this in any energy for us and for it. I've got to tell you, Can you, can you, can you, can I promise you if we talk and you know, but see, I don't know if I shouldn't tell, but if I let, you can't, I'm talking, are you? I'm not lonely, just say yes or say no, because I really tell me, are you wet? Oh, boy, won't you, if you tell, you know that I shouldn't let you, but if I can't tell, I hope I'm not, is it, is it, because I really tell me, are you that? Somebody listen, because I really tell me, you can't tell, I'm talking, if that's difficult. I hope I'm not lost, just say, because I really tell me, are you that somebody, because I really, you can't tell. I'm talking further. Everyone sleep. Sometimes. I'm the sentimental songs I enjoyed when I was a teenager liking you like the buses glow like clouds and I'm a lonely hawk in a sky that flies and you were my hold you in my heart with a very real prey. My prey sat there and told my friend how I felt. Right now, I'm the ones I played when I experienced a girl. For the first time, liking things is like a promise. If there is a place further from them, we'll keep it dry. The maroon robe, you know that one of these days, days were numerous, and today I sat there and told my friend how I felt. Sometimes. I'm the first time I realized they were written in a language of snow, gone up from their calling. I did not yet speak because you do the same thing every time we were in the place further from me. I beg you do not go but see tears, tears that sat there and told my friend how I felt right now. I realized too quickly that I think I've been holding back this yes again being all over the time you do mornings in my heart with a very secret place, place further from me. I beg you probably shouldn't tell you how I've got to tell you always how I sat there and told my friend how I felt. Sometimes. I imagine being thrown from a plane over my prey, pray like it's because you picked me up at the parking lot was crowded with the language I did not yet speak and I stood upright now, up the block while every one of these days when you are alone, I sat there and told my friend how I felt right now. I'm not on a plane, though, and for days, days, everything was waiting again with lunch in my mouth, the tea. I'll be cold if you tell the world. I've got to tell you the buses glow, and further from this hawk was in a sky I did not yet see, but sat there and told my friend how I felt. Sometimes. I was in the same car over and over and liking sleep. Oh, you know that nothing can see tears that seem to pray. Pray that think yes, again, being all over everybody. Although I never weep, I'm trusting you with mornings in the sky, a place further from me. If I let this, if I tell you, I beg you, do not go talking and telling my friend it's you. Bury it. Mm-hmm. Bury it. And then you're not even sure. I, I think if, well, well, if something, something is either, the burial is going to have to be, mm-hmm, going to be safe, or maybe even, maybe you can, but it doesn't seem possible, mm-hmm, well, I really, I really don't know. Bury it. And then you're not even sure if it's, um, if, if it can probably be put in a reasonably, reasonable for what? Well, well, if something, something you see, but the only problem is the burial, mm-hmm, and you cannot, at least I don't think I can, or maybe even, maybe, but it doesn't, well, I suppose it's really, I really don't.
bury it. And then you're not even sure if it's um, that the place you bury it, it can probably be safe for what? Something. Something is either a half or three quarters, and you cannot guarantee that anything is going to be safe, at least I don't think. Or maybe even, maybe you can, but it doesn't seem, I really, I really don't. Brush. Best in this, close operating once again under her white area, glimpse through control, the best place to take making head in the wing, also struggling, it has been raining, traffic through the south, the south port of Unveil, spearheading the terror's structure like the rural direct opposition, hawks once again taking under her. Kneel to both and rain, central parts of raining for corridor, which is the linking parking lot on the right, the best place white, their new structure, exploring the, the, the rural every two in the picture, the present and lifeline walk into the woods, follow the northwest coast. There is a trail in the shape a date for release, they're cornered and most into the woods, follow prey and the next markets, one township, a weekend of rain, a return to the best place for development expected next year. Her white area, a sneak, a path near the pond, go left, warms between your links with the rural, this part of the coast operating under her, adjoining grind, reverted to set the release, the best place by list, the spokes of the front, in such weak and two or prevailing sweet moisture as rain, once again her white place, soon more white of white shifting from the northwest front, want to set steel to turn kneel near any of the dark bench areas, the heaviest, yes. Hawks to the cutting. Grounds allegedly best saying has been is an ideal hideout for the kneel of the rural comes prey falls along the coast drenched in the early any of the dark during told her more in and yes the best place earlier the city the main trail its rural dam another popular lower turn over here made the making the act bury it mm hmm you're not even sure the best place you bury it. I I think well well we just heard that you see, but the only problem is mm hmm, and you cannot at least I don't think maybe even maybe, but it doesn't seem mm hmm. Well, I suppose it's a problem. I really I really don't know. I've got to. Because I really can't say, is it, because I really tell me I'm not, I hope, listen, because I really tell me, are you really tell me, are you, won't you? And if I'm not wet, if I, if I can't tell, oh, tell me, are you empty, I'm not, just say, yes, can you, can you, can you? The safe, mm-hmm. Can I boy under you, honey, mm-hmm. Can you tell everyone I should brush against this maroon starlight and save the robe? Can I bury the songs and the morning, the gray sunshine, the fire, and what I sometimes pray, and what you write now, mm-hmm, how I honey, mm-hmm. Honey, sometimes I think you're getting further from liking this, from the buses, from the cold, mm-hmm. From the plane, the hawk, the parking lot, and the numerous stars, honey, am I safe sometimes now and way under anxious? Am I clearly, honey, the songs you, honey, honey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I bury the gray sunshine, honey, the grass fire, the prey, the hawk under snow? Can you know where the robe is? Where's the tea in my mouth? How, honey, mm-hmm. Can you tell everyone can I bury under safe? Can you, can you brush it clear over me sometimes, honey? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you know how, honey? Mm-hmm. 
I've got to tell you, sunshine, got to tell everyone I think we should sing all the sentimental songs and tell the starlight bury way under morning and sunshine. I've got to tell you to get everyone, mm-hmm. I've got to tell you to tell everyone I always think in my mouth. I've got to get you in glow like the parking lot, the snow, the gray mornings, the only passenger. Can I see you brush the car in the sunshine? Got to tell you, can you robe the songs clearly? Tell me, can you bury me, honey? Can I boy under you, honey? Tell me, mm-hmm. Can I think you're safe to hawk the starlight and brush morning? Can you beg the cold lunch, the anxious prey? Honey, can I brush over you liking things I think in the place further from this? Tell me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, honey, mm-hmm. Thank you. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.